Today we're talking about the second tool in our toolbox for great relationships. And I'm going to say this to you, especially based on what you just saw, anyone can be a hero. All you have to do is care. Now the Bible is full of marvelous, fantastic tools to help you get all your relationships right. And that's why it's so critical that you read your Bible and learn the ways of great relationships. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the tool called caring for others. Now, this is something that you've all heard before, and you understand that it's, it sounds important and it, it is important, but the problem is that so many of us don't actually do it. We know it here, but we don't really know it here. We know when it happens to us. We know when someone cares for us. And we love it when someone cares for us. It really makes us feel good. But what we, what we need to understand is that this is something that we need to do on a regular basis. It needs to be the thing that marks the believer. Now, the word care is an interesting word. If you look at the root of the word, you'll discover it means to actually grieve or to be concerned or anxious for somebody. It means that you are... Uh, more concerned about the other person than you are about yourself. Now, this beautifully explains or describes what Jesus was like when he walked the earth. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find repeatedly that Jesus is moved with compassion or moved with care for people. And because he's moved with compassion, because he is moved with care, with concern, with interest, we find him healing people. We find him feeding the multitudes. We find him raising the dead. We find him teaching people the principles of a great life. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It means we do what Jesus does. And we find that Jesus' life is marked by caring for other people. Now, I just want to quickly say something here. And you need the Spirit of God to speak to your heart because this is critical. It's life-changing. Every time Jesus cared for somebody, a miracle happened. And I would submit this to you today, that every time you care for somebody, a miracle happens. Can I say that again? Every time you care for someone, a miracle happens. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But look at the scripture verse, Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. And it says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Now, that may come as a shock to you today, because you arrived here today thinking you were really quite important. And here I am, just shattering your, your dream of, or your understanding of yourself, and I'm telling you, you're not that important. You say, Pastor Allen, this doesn't really sound like something I want to hear. Well, bear with me for a moment, because once you get this, it'll transform your life. Last week, we talked about the importance of understanding ourselves, of really knowing ourselves. Do you know that 60% of the time, we get it wrong? We talked about that last week. The way we see ourselves and the way other people see us, there's, there's a huge discrepancy. We get it right maybe four times out of ten, but 60% of the time, we're getting it wrong. We don't really know what we're like. So let me just tell, tell you here today what I know uh, about you and what I know about myself. First of all, 
it is really, really difficult to not take ourselves, or to take ourselves, uh, not take ourselves too seriously. We, we tend to do that. We tend to, to think that, that we are very important and everything we say is important. And so therefore we have a hard time laughing at ourselves. We get offended easy. We really care more about ourselves than we care about other people. And I'm going to say this to you today. If you are busy caring for yourself, then you really can't care for other people. Can I say it again? If you're busy caring about yourself, about what you want and what you need and what you need to get, then it's pretty difficult to care for other people. You can't do both. How do I know when I'm caring too much about myself? Well, I, um, I get angry at people when things don't go my way. I find myself uh, needing people to agree with me. I find that I can't laugh at myself. I find that I always have to be right. I can never be wrong. Well, guess what? I'm not the only one like that in this room. You're the same. We're all the same. We think very highly of ourselves. In fact, as Paul says to the Galatians here, uh, we're, we're not that... We're not that important. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself because you're not that important. Now, here's, here's, here's something you need to know. If I am busy caring for myself, that means I've got one person caring for me. But if I'm busy caring for all the people in my life, then suddenly these people begin to care for me. So if I'm caring for, for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 people, then... What tends to happen is it's reciprocated. Now, isn't it better? Doesn't it make more sense to have 20 people care for Alan Duncalf than for Alan Duncalf to care about Alan Duncalf? You see the logic in this. It goes against our natural mind to, to think, well, I'm not going to care about myself. I'm going to care about other people. But when you look at what Jesus calls us to, it, it's, it's pure gold. It, it absolutely makes sense because suddenly you discover then in not putting yourself first and putting others first and caring for them, it's a game changer. Now, last week we talked about the very first tool, and it's the attitude of putting others first. Others first, others first, always others first. Caring is the action that goes with it. I'm going to actually take care of your needs. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to, I'm going to actually, actually put you first. And when you do that... It changes everything. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And he was musing a little bit about this and, and, and laughing, saying, here's a book that sold over 30 million copies, and the very first words in this book are, it's not about you. Now, this goes absolutely contrary to our culture, which says it is all about you. Our culture bombards us with messages in the media that say, very simply, it's all about you. You are first. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to put yourself first. Jesus comes along and says, hold on a minute here. You got it all wrong. You're not first. You've got to put others first. And then the next step is that you've actually got to care for people. You've got to do things that are caring for other people. Now, here's, here's, uh, here's the thing. I've, I've uh, been counseling, doing, doing counseling for a lot of years, and 
And here's what I discover all the time. I discover that when there's a breakdown in a relationship, a relationship between parents and their children or, or between, you know, a, a couple, husband-wife couple, when there's a struggle with, with friends and not getting along, my friends don't like me, or I don't have any friends, here's what I discover. Nine times out of ten, the people who are involved in this breakdown in the relationship are very self-centered. They don't even know that about themselves. And I can prove it by simply asking you, what do you do with your time? How do you spend your day? And more importantly, how much time do you spend caring for other people? How much time do you spend caring for your spouse? Think about that for a moment. Husbands, When's the last time you brought flowers to your wife? When's the last time you just gave her a hug and told her she's wonderful? When's the last time you affirmed her? When's the last time you made her really feel it? She was cherished by you. Ladies, when's the last time you made it clear to your husband that you really respected him, that he was, he, that you admired him? Here's what happens to all of us. As we start putting ourselves first, we start caring for ourselves, and what happens is is it causes a breakdown in your relationships, a breakdown in your marriage. She's fighting for for her rights. He's fighting for his rights. The kids are fighting for their rights. Everybody is fighting for their rights, and nobody is caring for each other. That's why we can't be friends. That's why we don't get along. That's why we fight, is because we're too busy, concerned about ourselves. Now, look what Jesus Christ does. He comes to this earth, and he shows us a brand new way of living. Now, if anybody on the face of this earth, in the history of mankind, had the right to point a finger at us and tell us that we were wrong and that we're bad, and if anybody had the right to condemn us or judge us, it's Jesus. If anyone had the right to put us in our place... And tell us how self-centered we are. It's Jesus. But guess what? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do it even once. What does he do? Without looking to be served, without looking for people to care for him, he cares for them. He puts them first. In fact, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to care. And this is what we see about him through the course of his ministry. He's constantly being moved with compassion. And being moved with compassion, he acts. And he cares for people. Now, I've got to tell you, it's it's pretty cool. The term compassion in the Greek is actually comes from, at the root of that word, is the word your guts, your bowels, actually. Jesus was, was physically moved. In, his very, in the very core of his being, he was moved. He had to do something to meet the needs of the people around him. In fact, this is all he did, constantly meeting people's needs. In fact, Jesus' family, they were watching Jesus, and finally they came to the conclusion, you know, Jesus, he's out of his mind. That's literally what it says. He's out of his mind. He's... He's going to have a breakdown. He's, he's spending way too much time caring for people. He's got to take care of himself. 
And they came to take Jesus away. They came to, to, to remove him from his ministry, from his caring for people. And Jesus, when confronted by his disciples who said, hey, your mother and your brothers are here to take you away, Jesus asked the question, who is my mother and my brother anyway? That was a puzzling question. I mean, Jesus knew who his mother and his brothers were. But then Jesus answers the question by saying this, the people who do the will of my Father in heaven That's my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Anybody who shows up to care for others and meet the needs of others, these are the ones who are part of God's family. As I want to say this to you today, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a believer or a Christian, the thing that's going to mark your life is that you care about people. Jesus comes to the end of his life on earth. He's crucified. We just celebrated Easter. This is what it's about. And Jesus does this. He spreads out his arms. The one who's perfect, who's done no wrong, he spreads out his arms and he says, Father, I'm taking the blame. I'm taking the blame for the people in this world. That's how much I care for this world. I'm prepared to die. I'm going to say this to you today. Because relationships are difficult. Marriage is difficult. Making sure you have a good relationship with your kids, it's all difficult. Getting along with the people at work, it's difficult. And the only way it's going to work is that if someone is prepared to say, I'll take the responsibility. I'll take the blame. It's my fault. That's what's got to happen. Now, here's the thing. If two people in a marriage are willing to say, hey, I'll take responsibility for this, guess what happens? Love begins to flow. And you have a solid relationship built not on people fighting for their rights, but built on people who are willing to forfeit their rights. Because that's what true love is. True love always puts others first. And Jesus sets for us an example that we should follow in his steps. The Apostle Peter says this in his epistle, 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Listen, for love covers over a multitude of sins. If you're busy fighting for your rights and trying to prove you're right and she's wrong and, and he's wrong and, and the kids are fight, saying the parents are wrong and the parents are accusing the kids they're wrong, you can see how there will never be love in that home. There'll never be love in that marriage. That it's just a matter of time before it all falls apart. But when we start taking on the attitude and the mind of Christ, when we start caring for each other, it's a game changer. So, what does it mean to care? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says again to the Galatians. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. When I was a youth pastor, back in 19, well, it started in 1982 as an intern youth pastor, and then I came on full-time in 83, went on until 1987. I had really probably some of the best years of my life, and really some of the best years as a pastor. Over the years, I've run into 
people who were in my youth group at that time. And uh, usually, you know, we, we'll, we'll get into reminiscing about the good old days when we, when we, you know, have our youth retreats and we would play games and stay out A&W until 3 o'clock in the morning. There's always lots of fun and exciting things to do. And um, as a pastor and as a preacher, I'm sitting there waiting for them to say, oh, and I remember how wonderful your sermons were. But they never do. Which is hard for a pastor, a preacher. But here's what they do remember. They remember how much I cared for them. They remember that I really did love them. In fact, I had one person say, do you know that that was the reason why I kept coming back? is because I knew that there was a place in this world where somebody actually cared for me. And during my, my teenage years, they were so difficult. But I knew that there was somebody who would care for me and love me no matter what. There was a young fellow who, whose mother wanted him to come to church, but he refused to come. The family would come to church, but the boy would stay home. He was not interested in it, couldn't be bothered with it. And the mother kept nagging him and scolding him, and don't you want to go to heaven someday? And on and on it went. And so finally she came to me frustrated. Pastor Allen, can you do anything with my son? He does not want to go to church. He doesn't want to go to youth group. I don't know what to do. I have scolded him. I have punished him. I have locked him in his room. I said, well, that's a good way to get someone to go to church. <laughs> everything. I've tried everything, Pastor Allen. Can you help? So I said, why don't you invite me over? So they invited me over. And... Uh, you could just see the mother there sitting there praying and expecting God to just come in with lightning bolts and that the prophet of God would speak words that would cause her son to fall on his face before and weep before God, crying out. No, I didn't do that. The kid did not even acknowledge me in the room. I said, what are you doing there? I'm playing a game. I'm playing, playing a game, stupid. <laughs> I said, what are you playing? It's called Pong. Anybody heard of Pong? That goes back a lot of years. That was when Atari was the big name in gaming. So I sat down beside him and, and began to play with him. And there was two little paddles, and there's a ball that goes back and forth across the screen. You remember that? And you couldn't let the ball hit the wall, otherwise the other person got a point. So there we are playing. The mother now is looking on at this youth pastor. I'm sure she's wondering, what are we paying him for? To play video games? What she didn't understand is that fundamental to establishing friendship is that you care for people. That you actually are interested in them. That's why I just sat there playing a video game in the name of Jesus. And the, and the ball going back and forth, boop, boop, boop. That's all you could hear. He wasn't saying a word. This kid wasn't saying a word, but somehow he let me join him in his game of Pong. Well, he beat me once. <laughs> and then again, he beat me. And after he'd skunked me, I said, well, I hope to see you again sometime. He turned to me and he looked at me right in the eye and he says, that would be cool. He came to church. That's all it took. Someone to care. Someone willing to sit down and play Pong. Someone who's actually interested in him. 
not just someone trying to impose their values, impose the rules and the regulations, but someone to care. I'm going to say this to you, parents. It's really critical. If you want to get anywhere with your kids, it's really critical that you know, that they know how much you really care about them. And don't lecture by saying, don't you see how much I care about there's a roof over your head, food on the table every day? That's, I mean, they're, they're hearing blah, 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 blah. That's all they're hearing. But you sit down beside them and take an interest in what they're interested in and watch what will happen. I remember... When Jesse was younger, I said, let's do something together. Or he said, let's do something together. So I said, let's go to a movie. He said, that's not doing something together. That's just watching a movie together. I want to talk. I want to connect. My son taught me a very important lesson that day. He taught me what it means to actually care. It means your heart is connected to the other person's heart. And you're willing to do for them whatever they need you to do. Jesus shows us how to care. For three years, while doing his ministry on on this earth, that's all he did is go around caring for people, feeding multitudes. Remember, the whole multitude was gathered around listening to Jesus preach, and the the day is coming to the end, and and nobody's eating, there's no McDonald's nearby, no Subway, no nothing. And Jesus looks at at his disciples and says, what are we going to do for these people? And Jesus disciples said, well, just let them go get their own food. Let them take care of themselves. We can't take care of everybody, you know. Jesus says, no, let's, let's take care of them. Jesus sends them out. Go find some food. Go find what you can. They come back with a boy's lunch. And I'm sure they're thinking, <laughs> here's, your, here's your few loaves and a few fish, Jesus. And Jesus takes that. Because he cares, he breaks it, and he feeds 5,000 plus the women and the children. Folks, every time you care for somebody, a miracle happens. Oh, it might not be the kind of miracle that you read about in the Bible where someone's raised from the dead, although it could be. It may not be the kind of miracle where somebody's healed instantly, but it could be. It might mean that The miracle you provide is meeting a need because someone's lonely. You've met a need because somebody maybe is hungry. Meeting a need because somebody feels rejected. You phone them at just the right moment. They got an email or text at just the right moment. Jesus got word from Mary and Martha. Jesus, you got to come right away. Lazarus is sick, and he's not going to make it. You know the story. Jesus starts making his way towards Lazarus, but not quick enough. And when he arrives, Lazarus is already dead. In fact, he's been wrapped with a grave clothes, and he's put in a tomb. Now, look at this. Jesus has raised the dead. He's healed people. He's done all kinds of miracles. But when he arrives there and he sees Mary and Martha crying and and his dear friend dead and in the tomb, what does Jesus do? He weeps. He cries. A lot of people, when they hear this story, they, they miss that part. They quickly jump to the part where Jesus 
raises him from the dead. But listen to me. Before Lazarus is raised from the dead, Jesus weeps. Why does he weep? And this is something all of us have got to understand if we're going to understand Jesus and what he calls us to. Jesus weeps because he cares. When's the last time you wept over your children? When's the last time you wept over your spouse or the people you work with or your family members that don't know Christ? When's the last time you really cared so much that you, like Jesus, were moved physically with compassion? This is what it means to care. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Caring for others always, always attracts people. You will have no shortage of friends if you learn how to forget about yourself and care for other people. You will have no problems in your marriage if you could learn how to truly care for one another. You'll have no problem with your kids if you would learn to truly love them and care for them in a way that they understand it. Because I can just hear some of you parents saying, I love my kids. You're protesting me right now. You're saying, I love my kids. But do your kids know it? Do they understand how much you care? And the best thing to do is to simply ask them, do you know how much I care? And look for what they're really saying because they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Do you care for me, kids? Yes, mom, yes, dad. But do they really feel that? What about your friends, the friends that you've got? Do they know how much you care? Has anybody ever heard of the term drama? How many relationships are just a a big drama? I can tell you, a drama is, I really have that really, I have a hard time with that. Hard to take that. Start to care for people and let other people deal with the drama. Just care for people no matter what. 800 years ago, there was a man who became radically committed to Jesus Christ. He was a wealthy man from a wealthy family, wealthy friends. He had status in his city. People thought a lot of him. But one day while doing business for his father, a beggar came to him, a man who was utterly broken, without any means, without any food, disheveled, poorly dressed, and he asked for some kind of help. After the man was done his business, he ran after the beggar, and he gave him everything that was in his pocket. And in that moment of caring for that beggar, something happened in his heart. He was literally changed, transformed from that day forward. And what he did after that is he actually gave up all claims to his wealth and to his inheritance. And he declared to God and to all who were interested that he was going to give his life to care for the poorest and the neediest. And I'm going to tell you this. He didn't just care for the poorest and the neediest. He even cared for the sickest and the most diseased. He took care of the ones that nobody else wanted anything to do because they were too diseased. He took care of the ones that were full of infection and that could have caused him to be sick and to die. He cared that much. After his death, 
the Roman Catholic Church declared him a saint. And some of you will recognize his name by that prayer associated with his name, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Now, I don't know for sure whether he wrote that prayer. Probably he didn't. But whoever wrote it wrote the prayer because, and, and, and assigned it to St. Francis because it beautifully reflected who St. Francis is, a man who cared. 800 years later, we know his name. What do we know him for? Did he conquer countries? Was he a man of great wealth? No. The thing that he's known for is just simply caring about others. I do a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals in my time. And I'm always interested to see what the family's reaction is to the depart, departure of their loved one. And I can tell you this. In some families, everybody's sobbing and crying. In other funerals, hardly a, sheer, a tear is shed. And here's what I've discovered. The common denominator of those funerals that I do where everybody's crying is that the one who has died was a person who cared for others. Do you make a difference in the lives of the people that you know? Does your life matter? You're busy thinking about yourself, but Jesus is calling you to think about others and to do whatever you can to care for others. Others first. Last Sunday in Rome, Pope Francis, who actually has taken the name of St. Francis, Pope Francis declared that John Paul II and John Twenty-Third. He declared them saints. And the way that you become a saint in the Roman Catholic Church is that you have to be responsible for at least two miracles. And so different people around the world have declared that they've had miracles through John, Pope John II and also through John XXIII. I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible declares that anybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, anybody who belongs to God, the Bible says that you are a saint. You don't need a pope to say so. Because the Bible says it. You're a saint. You're a holy one. Ephesians 2.18 says you are citizens along with all of God's saints. You're citizens of heaven. Now listen to this. As a Christian, as someone who is holy, your job is to reflect Jesus Christ, to be like him. Now remember this. This is, this, is, this is critical. Your job is to go into this world as a saint of God and to do miracles. Pastor Allen, are you, do you mean that I'm supposed to go raise the dead? Well, if you have the faith for it, go for it. But there's far simpler ways that you can perform miracles. And here's what you do. As a saint of God. All you have to do is care for someone, to meet someone's need, to phone that person that you know is lonely, to visit that one in the hospital who needs a visit, to send a text, an email, a card, to say, I'm thinking about you, I care about you. Now, for you, that might not be a big deal. But for the one who is alone, without anyone around, who is 
facing that suffocating loneliness, a phone call is like a miracle. For that one who's feeling rejected and feeling alone and feeling broken and hurt, a text, an email, is like a miracle. For that wife who is struggling in her marriage because she feels that her husband doesn't care about her, it would be like a miracle if he would send flowers, if he would come home and give her his full attention. It would be like a miracle if he would make her feel cherished. For that husband who's feeling disconnected from his wife. It would be like a miracle if she would smile at him instead of giving the silent treatment. It would be like a miracle. It would be a miracle if she would stop nagging. It would be a miracle if he would pick up his underwear. It would be a miracle if he would take out the garbage without her having to tell him to do so. It would be a miracle if mom and dad didn't yell at their kids. It would be a miracle if the kids would clean up their room. Now you think I'm putting a, a flippant spin on the word miracle. I'm not. I believe it's a miracle when two people can live together for any length of time. Because you and I are by nature so self-centered and so concerned with ourselves. Jesus is calling us to great and strong relationships by learning how to care for each other and put each other first. I got a, an email this morning, Dennis, from Burundi from Syriac, near Ajira. He says, hello, my pastor. Syriac, by the way, is one of the young men who is working at the village that we support. He says, I hope you're doing well with your family and the church. As for me, I'm very well, and I would like to inform you that I succeeded my first session with 70.31%. He's in university. So I'm very glad for I finished studies and I, and I thank you for your prayers and support and cannot help showing to me. The next step is to write and defend my thesis. Please keep praying for me. I hope God will help me to get a degree within 2014. And then he says, greet all your family, the church, and the Christian women ministry at Cross Church on my behalf. Thank you. Our church has cared for a number of the young leaders, the Village of Hope. The ladies took up an offering to help with their education. That's why he's saying thank you to the ladies. This church has been known as a church that cares for others. And I'm going to say this to you. You may not think it's a miracle when you care enough to support a child every month. But listen to this. Those kids whose parents have died, those kids who have nothing 
I mean, nothing. Every morning when they wake up and there's a meal to eat, every morning when they wake up and they're able to go to school, every morning when they wake up and they're able to put clothes on, every morning when they know that they have a future because somebody in Canada cares. I can tell you that for them, it is a miracle. For them, it's an answer to prayer. That's why I say every time you care, you produce a miracle. And Syriac, if you knew his story, I mean, Dennis could tell it far better than I can, but a a family in a refugee camp, he's supporting his mother and his, his sister, family members, able to care because we care for them. Why can't we be friends? Well, we can be friends. We can get along. If we could learn how to care for each other, if we could take that step and meet the needs of the people around us. That's what God's called us to do. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It means you care for people and you meet their needs and you find a way to meet their needs. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for the way that you have cared for us. You were on this earth 2,000 years ago. You didn't come condemning us or judging us, even though we deserved it. You came rather loving us, caring for us, and you expressed the ultimate care by dying for our sins. Jesus, you called us to be like you by caring for the people in our lives. Forgive us, God, for fighting for our rights and trying to prove we're right and everybody else is wrong. That's not what you did, Jesus. Rather, you stretched out your arms and you died for us. And that's what you're calling all of us to do, to care for one another just like that. God, we know today that we can't care for others if we're too busy caring for ourselves. God, help us to meet the needs of the people around us. And we know, Lord that each and every one of us can be channels of your blessing, channels of your miracles, because we know that everybody here has special needs, special interests, things that are troubling them. And God, you want to use us to be the answer to their prayers. You want to use us, oh God, to create a miracle. So Father, we commit ourselves to you right now, asking for the grace and the strength to go from here as a people who care for others. We pray that in your name. And everyone said it. Tell the person beside you, go do a miracle.